Welcome back to another episode of the podcast, Rami Umptum Ruminations. My name is Scott, and I'm the host. Today's episode is called Blind Obedience. Thanks for coming back to listen to another episode. Today, I want to conclude a rough theme that has spread the last like four episodes, talking fairly generally on the subject of morality. In today's episode, I want to read a couple of comments like I do typically at the end of a a series like this, where I'll share some of the ideas of the listeners and then talk about my thoughts on those ideas. Before I jump into that, I want to mention one last time, the week that this episode releases, uh, September of 2022, I will be in Salt Lake this weekend, and I would love to meet up with some listeners. And so if that's something that interests you, I will be at the Beer Hive Pub at 8 o'clock on Friday night, September 23rd. If you want to meet me, you want to chat and uh, sit down for a minute, That's where I will be Friday night only this week. For those out there in the future listening in on this uh, that would like to meet up at some point, reach out. I'm sure we can uh, figure something out or I'll let you know what uh, my schedule looks like. I do not live in Utah, so it's uh, it's pretty rare that I make it out that way. If you want to meet up for dinner and, and maybe drinks or pub is not for you, then shoot me a message on Facebook, or I just actually set up a Gmail account for the podcast. It is ruminations at gmail.com. So if you want to reach out to me that way, that is another way that you could uh, send me a message. And if that's, like I said, if, if uh, dinner is something that might interest you more, reach out to me there and we can coordinate uh, a spot to meet up. So today there are two, there are two uh, commenters or messages that I've received Um, through these episodes that I want to highlight. I think there'll be a great discussion. And they are uh, very related in interesting ways. The the first one that I want to read is from a listener, uh, Vega Dog. This listener says, In LDS theology, as well as all monotheism, Abraham is the example of faith and was called the friend of God, the first worshiper of Yahweh. And they put the tetragrammaton there instead of writing it out. He's the example of obedience and exaltation in DNC 132. Yet, according to our contemporary Western understanding of morality, he's a, sh- a shady character, to say the least. He marries his niece. He ran to Egypt during a famine. He lied to Pharaoh, pimped out his wife for riches and wealth. God had to save Sarah from that. He did the same to Ab- Abimelech. God had to save her from that. He almost sold the promised land of the covenant until God stepped in. He impregnated Sarah's teenage slave girl. We're sure there wasn't much consent in that relationship. He allowed the slave girl to be sent out to die in the desert with this child, etc., etc. And to top it off, he was willing to murder his son as an offering to God until God stepped in. This story represents the father of the faith and is the story of a man who became an Elohim in LDS theology. I'm not suggesting an easy answer, nor do I make an argument that it is all hogwash, but the ancients shared these stories with an intent. What was it? What do you think that it was? 
So Vega continues, and there's there's a bit more that I'll share of their comments in, in just a minute here. Before I proceed, one of the things that I want to make clear with this, um, and this is just where my mind goes with, with uh, discussions about the scriptures, the intended audience for these writings is not me, and it's not you, the listener, either. These books were written for people that are no longer alive. Whether you believe that the scriptures are inspired or um, the word of God or not, these books were written by different people with different ideas and their intended audiences have all passed away long ago. Looking at these stories and trying to understand uh, value and meaning and and a glimpse of, of morality, we come to the table with a different lens than the people that wrote them and than the people that originally received them. So to answer your question, I'm going to go to Genesis 18 and uh, relate a little bit of the story of uh, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. The reason I'm going here is because I think that the way the Bible is taught typically within the LDS faith, it lines up a little bit more with this divine command theory. But when you read the actual text, the way it's presented is much more complicated, as you alluded to in your comment. Now, this this story here is where God is about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham and God are debating the morality of what's the ratio to innocent people's lives destroyed to wicked people's lives destroyed that makes it acceptable. And so this is from the, the NRSV, and it is verse 22. And this is right after God has explained his plan to Abraham and, and told him that he's going to go down and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, I'll read 22 to, uh, to 25. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, while Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not forgive the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked? Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? I absolutely love this passage. This is a conversation between God and a a prophet, if you're a believer, or God and a man. And God has presented his plan to do something. And and Abraham is saying, but aren't you a righteous person and killing the innocent and treating the innocent in the same way that you treat the wicked isn't a just way to treat them. Now, interestingly, I think my favorite bit of this is the part where he says, far be it from you, or it's translated to far be it from you. When in the Hebrew, it actually says something a little bit stronger than that. The Hebrew word here, and I will probably absolutely butcher this, is kalila, and where it says far be it from me, where it says far be it from you, the Hebrew says the word kalila, which more refers to something that's profane. So in this, um, Abraham is saying, how can you do this profane thing? How can you do this evil thing? 
And to some, this might sound like Abraham is blaspheming against God and saying that God is doing evil. The thing I love about this exchange is it alters the relationship between deity and and humankind. Is it changes it from from a relationship of top-down morality and it, it presents a God that can be reasoned with or discussed with. So to answer your question, I think that when we turn directly to these stories and we read them, the morality that we can take directly from the scriptures is far more rich than the way it's presented typically. So yeah, I completely agree. I take more from the scriptures now, reading it as an atheist, than I ever did reading them as a believing member of the LDS Church. Granted, I come at it with a different lens. I'm not looking to the authority of the LDS Church to be an arbiter of what is and isn't truth within the scriptures, and so I'm, I'm not limiting myself to one source of information. I'll typically read different translations. I'll look and see what other scholars have said on the subject to, to get a good idea of what's being taught and what's being said. So, Vega, you are completely right. There are some really fascinating things that can be learned from the scriptures. The relationship between God and morality is presented differently within many of the scriptures, not all of them, because you have, you have passages like the law where it's, you know, it clearly is it's trying to delineate what is right and what is wrong. But there are other passages within the scriptures like this one where you have a much more complicated interplay between morality and God and mankind. Vega had a bit more to say, but I'm going to jump to a different listener for a minute, and then I'm going to come back to a little bit uh, more from what Vega had, uh, had commented. This next listener is named Jordan, and he said, I just recently listened to your two episodes about divine command theory. Absolutely loved them. They provoked a lot of deep thought on my part. However, I couldn't help but see how my TBM family would be able to get around some of this line of thinking. My dad has told me explicitly that he believes that if God fo- that if he follows the prophet, he will be blessed, regardless of whether or not the prophet is right or wrong. If whatever the prophet commands is good, in the sense that God commanded us to follow the prophets, and therefore we will be blessed for doing so, regardless of morality. The question, is God required to do what is good or is what God does good, doesn't matter to members like my father. All that matters is obedience to the prophet. And so the happiness letter that you read is nothing is a nothing burger because we are asked or required to follow the prophet. If we did something wrong while following the prophet, it does not matter because God will bless us because we were following them. This type of mindset will be real familiar to many listeners. This is the way that I I internalized the teachings of the church. I looked at the words of the prophets as an absolute form of morality that can never lead someone astray. I think this type of mindset is a great juxtaposition against the story that I just told from Genesis 18, where the morality of an idea was debated between God and man. I may do an episode down the road talking a bit more about obedience and, you know, Abrahamic trials, if you will, which I think for me, the term Abrahamic trial doesn't fully encompass the character of Abraham as presented in the scriptures. Yes, you do have moments where you know God has tried him, commanded him to sacrifice his son, and then change his plans at the last minute. 
And the Abrahamic trial is referring to that type of story. But as I said, in Genesis 18 and and in other places in the scriptures, this idea of morality is debated between man and God. The way the conversation takes place between Abraham is, and God is, you know, if there were 50 people in Sodom and Gomorrah, would you still kill it? And God says, okay, no. If there were 30 people, would you still destroy it? If there were 10, would you still destroy it? And it's this, this back and forth where the idea of morality is being debated. The value and worth of a soul at the expense of destroying the wicked was being debated Perhaps my favorite aspect of this particular story is that Abraham is acting as an agent to himself to determine right and wrong. This idea of blind obedience to God doesn't exist for a person such as Abraham, at least in this story, where he can go to God and say, far be it from you to do such a wicked thing, slaying the righteous so that the righteous fare as the wicked. This presentation of morality shows that Abraham is able to think for himself and come to God and say, I think you're wrong for doing this. When applied to members of the church, when they look at the prophets and apostles and when they they see these teachings and the instruction to blindly follow the leadership, whether or not they would use that term of blindly following, it's, you know, I guess a person to person. When the prophets have spoken, the thinking is over. Ideas of right and wrong become irrelevant. If the person following the prophet only looks to blind obedience, regardless of if with the, the instruction was good or bad, blind obedience above all, right and wrong become irrelevant to that person, and obedience takes precedent. It's an unhealthy way to, to lead your life. Now, I want to be clear, some of the problems that I presented with the you know, divine command theory and such, it isn't to say that, that a person can't believe in God and be an active believing member of the church and not have a moral code or not be you know, a moral agent, if you will. I'm criticizing some of the bad teachings and some of the bad rationalizations for, that have been given by leaders of the church. I think there are many stories within the scriptures and there are many other religions that teach a form of of learning right and wrong and learning to become agents of your own to determine right and wrong. And as I said in the first episode that I did, this lines up well with the idea of apotheosis or becoming like God. When someone learns right and wrong and becomes a moral agent unto themselves, being able to discern and make right and wrong choices for themselves. That lines up well with the theology. Now, to wrap this up, I want to jump back to another comment that Vega made. And uh, it was actually a criticism of me. And I think it's a a valid one, a really good one. And then uh, respond to that. Vega says, I was bothered by your brief thesis because it seemed to only cut through the icing of a seven layer cake and is misleading to the seeker of truth. Whether by willful neglect or intention, it's a similar sin we blame the church for. You oversimplified the concept of opposites. Previously, uh, Vega had been talking about um, this dichotomy of opposite commandments, discussed a little bit about that. Understanding quantum physics and mechanics, we learn that some things can be opposites at the same time and in the same respect, i.e. Schrodinger's cat, which is a really 
interesting thought experiment. I am left perplexed as to what you were trying to accomplish. Uh, Vega had a very valid criticism with this. And what I would say to that, the you know, diving only through the icing on a seven, seven layer cake, I do. I do typically oversimplify very complicated subjects. It's intentional. And if that's something that uh, a listener isn't okay with or has a problem with, I completely understand that. What I am trying to do is introduce complicated ideas to an audience that I don't know what my audience knows and doesn't know about a subject. So I will tend to introduce an idea and slowly build it up over a couple of episodes. And maybe I'm not, uh, maybe I'm a little too subtle with some of, uh, some of my presentation, but in episode 66, I made the argument that on one side of the divine command theory horns, if you will, saying that the church falls on this side of it. And then the very next two episodes, 67 and 68, I demonstrated places where the LDS church and the teachings of the church fall on the opposite horn of this euthyphro uh, dilemma. So I presented both sides of it. I never really do dive very deep into any of these subjects. For many listeners, this is the first time that they're presented with with an idea such as this, you know, a dichotomy of opposites. How can something both be true and not true at the same time? How can Schrodinger's cat be both alive and dead at the same time? How can God both be moral and immoral at the same time or just and loving at the same time? To complicate the matter even further, I try to, to limit my episodes to between 20 to 30 minutes to make them easily digestible for a listener. My target audience isn't a philosopher. My target audience isn't somebody who is familiar with these subjects. The people that I'm trying to reach out to are those that have recently deconstructed religion or people that have or nuanced believers who, when they're at church, they don't feel filled. They don't get that spiritual enlightenment from those, from those around them. And so they come to a podcast such as mine where, yes, I'm not a believer, but I try to allow space for a believer to come to the table and have a discussion about subjects such as Abraham arguing morality with God. But if you want to have a deeper conversation about some of these subjects, please reach out. I think that would be fascinating. What I will end this on is my own stance on morality uh, would be moral skepticism and in some cases, moral nihilism. I don't know that the language we use around morality accurately describes the world that we live in. And there are so many cultural and societal elements to morality that many of the things that we hold to be right and wrong are heavily influenced by things that are not constant. A fascinating book on this subject is by John L. Mackey. And uh, he wrote the book, Ethics, Inventing Right and Wrong. And he starts it out with this short sentence. He says, there are no objective values. And from there, he goes on to discuss this very subject that, that I've briefly touched on. Thanks for listening to the episode today. If this is content that you enjoy, please like it, subscribe to it, leave a review, hopefully five stars, wherever you find yourself out there. 
interrupted while you're doing a podcast by your two-year-old who came into your office with her backpack of musical instruments and demanded a jam session for half an hour that interrupted your recording. (laughs) Yeah, that was me partway through this one. I hope that you have an excellent day.